Good morning. morning. That was good. Glad you guys are here this morning. Um, That was fun. Um, Thank you, worship team. You know, I've heard it said before in in some churches that the worship just prepares the way for the sermon. That really it's all about the sermon and worship just prepares hearts. Um, I don't like that because... (laughs) What we're here for is to connect with God. I really appreciated what Paul was sharing, that we're here to meet with God, and we're free to do that because of what Jesus did on the cross. We have access to the Father, and we want to actually experience God. And so I, would, I just wanted to give this encouragement. When you're singing, try and move past just the words to God. You know, and maybe you're like me, and you grew up in a church where if somebody's raising their hands, um, that's uncomfortable because, because that's distracting. And it wasn't until I was in college that I went to this thing called Singspiration and it was a, a room, big room full of people just worshiping and all doing this. And it was, I weirded out about it for a little bit. And then I realized there's just something freeing about doing this because it's not about me. You know, when I'm singing like this and I'm concerned how I look, it's about me. But when we want to worship and give it to God, it's okay to do this. And so, you know, maybe you're like me and you start like this and you're like, <laughs> you know, but it's not about us. We're here to glorify God. And so I want you to feel free in worship. Singing is important, but we're not singing just, it's not religion. It's not, it's to connect with God. It's to invite God to connect with us. And so as you worship, give it to him, sing to him. We're going to close in, in song later. And even now, um, what we do here at Common Ground is we, we worship and we, we look at the word because this is God's word to us. God spoke, he revealed himself through Jesus and he speaks through the Bible. And so this is another way that we can both hear from him and connect with him. And part of worship is our mind in the word, but it's also with our heart responding to it with obedience, um, with love, with praise and appreciation. So let me pray one more time as we continue to worship by looking at his word. Lord Jesus Christ, we, uh, we thank you for what you did on the cross. We thank you that because you paid the penalty for our sin, the Father's arms are open wide and we don't have to earn it. We don't have to be good enough. We don't have to follow this ritual or religion to be right with you. All we have to do is accept you, Jesus, as Lord of our life and then experience change Holy Spirit, as you work in and through us, we just thank you for what you've done. I I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be present with us this morning, that you would convict us if we need to be convicted, that you would draw us closer to you, you would reveal yourself, and most of all, that you would be glorified this morning by the way that we think, by the way that we praise you and sing. God, help us to put everything else out of our minds right now and just worship. What an opportunity we have to worship you. It's awesome. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are going to be in Ecclesiastes. That's in the Old Testament. So you have a little time to get there. It's going to be Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you're not sure where that is, look in the the table of contents at the beginning of your Bible. That's great. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat or there's a box under your seat or in the seat in front of you. Grab a Bible because that's where we're going to be. But we're starting a new series, a three-week series, Is God Real? Uh, And we're pretty excited about this series because it's, it's one of those questions that everybody asks. And I wanted to start with this question. Have you ever had a desire for something? Like thirsty. Ever been thirsty? Um, and what'd you do? You got some water or something else. Um, or hungry. You have a desire for food, and so you go to In-N-Out. What about the desire for worship? Right? 
We all have in us a desire for worship, and and it's kind of hard to maybe nail that down, what that looks like, but we all have a desire to worship. And since we have that desire, is there an object, a correct object of that desire to worship? And we're going to see absolutely there is, and that's God. Every desire we have has an appropriate fulfillment, but every desire we have also because of sin has an inappropriate fulfillment, doesn't it? We have a desire to eat. We're hungry. Great, but we can eat too much or we can eat just pizza or, you know, just chips or whatever. So there's an inappropriate. We have other desires that there's some kids in here, so I'm not going to get into. And there's the appropriate fulfillment of those desires within marriage. And there's the inappropriate. In the same way with worship, there is an appropriate object to worship. And there are many, many, many distractions and inappropriate ways to worship. You know, when I, when I started thinking about this series, you know, is God real? Of course, part of my thinking was apologetics, and that word means proof. Uh, and there's a lot of books out there on apologetics, proving why Jesus is the only way to the Father, those things. Um, but that's not exactly what we're going to do, and here's why. When I graduated college, I was in love with Jesus. You know, I was sold out to him, uh, but I wanted to be able to convince others that he's the right way. So all I did for a year was just read. I read every book I could get, and I tried to take the approach of an atheist. So I remember sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to not believe in God anymore. Now, I couldn't actually do that because I I knew Jesus and I loved him, but I tried to put myself in the mindset, what if I was raised in a non-believing home? What if I never went to church? Where would I start? And so I started reading books about different religions and all these things, And then I went into where I worked, uh, friends, things, and I started trying to take their point of view and share Jesus with them. You know, I couldn't actually not believe because I was in love with Jesus. But then I I went in and I remember lots of conversations I had with people and I came to this horrible conclusion that most people's problem with God isn't intellectual. I could know all the right answers and they could still walk away unchanged. most people, their issue with God is not intellectual. And so if you came here thinking, is God real? Oh, great, we're going to get intellectual answers. The problem is our intellect is normally not the problem. For some people, it is, absolutely. And I've known those that they needed to study and they see, oh, all the facts are there. But for most people, that's not the case. Uh, Thomas Nagel is a philosophy professor at New York University, and I think he nailed it really well. He said this, I want atheism to be true, and I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Most people's problem with God is not an intellectual problem. People don't want there to be a God because they want to be their own God. Isn't that right? (laughs) People want to be their own God. They want to be in control. So let's turn to Ecclesiastes because we're going to look at a passage written by Solomon, arguably the wisest man other than Jesus to ever live, and he made some big mistakes. But he wrote this book, Ecclesiastes, and it's a really joyful book. Okay, a couple, of, a couple of people got that. It's not. It's depressing. <laughs> it's, but, but there's a lot of insight in this book. Um, I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll, 
then we'll set the context a little bit. But I want to just get into this passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 9, just verses 9 through 15. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. What is this passage about? I'm going to sum it up. Here it is. Is there a God? Yes. Is God real? Yes. There's a God and you're not him. <laughs> that's, that's this whole passage. There's a God and you're not him. And I'm not him. We're dismissed. <laughs> there is a God. You're not him. Solomon. Okay, Solomon was a man. He was David's son. He was the, the second, well, he was the third king of Israel, but the second good king, but he made a lot of mistakes. Solomon was king at Israel's heyday. You know, David conquered a bunch of territory. Uh, he set things up, and then he passed it on to Solomon. There was a time of peace with Solomon and wealth. Solomon was a guy, he was like, okay, uh, Bill Gates mixed with uh, Tom Brady. You know, all the money, everything you could have uh, mixed with Dennis Hoff, mixed with, you know, he had everything, everything and time on his hands. Um, and so he was writing Ecclesiastes. He talks about all the things that he's tried. The problem, we talked about this desire for worship. There's this some, something in each of us desiring something beyond ourselves. We want to be fulfilled by something else. And so we constantly are seeking that fulfillment, aren't we? We seek it in relationships. We seek it in, you know, husband and wife. We seek it in food or drink. We seek it in job, you know, professions. We seek this, and that's exactly what Solomon did. Solomon tried to find fulfillment in, in anything. He tried, so the first, just flip in your Bible there. Look over probably one page to the left. And just look at the headings of the little sections. It says, you know, chapter one, all is vanity. Uh, these are the headings in mine. The next one is the vanity of wisdom. So Solomon attempted to be fulfilled with wisdom, and he was very wise. I mean, people traveled, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles just to listen to Solomon. He was so wise. But yet that didn't fulfill him. He said, that's vain. That doesn't fulfill me. So, Self-indulgence, chapter 2. He looks at that. Uh, Solomon had many, 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 many wives. And so he tried to be fulfilled with sex. And his result was, that's vanity also. And then the vanity of toil. Solomon was a, a great builder. You know, he built the temple for the Lord. He built a house for himself. He built gardens and all these things, a lot of great construction projects. And that didn't fulfill him. It, none of it was enough. And his conclusion in Ecclesiastes is, it's all vanity. It's all vanity and striving after wind. What's the point? And maybe you felt that. What's the point? He says, everything that has been, will be, it's just over and over and over. You know, we do all this stuff, we work hard, and then we're gonna die, and my grandkids probably won't even know my name. Well, grandkids probably will. Great grandkids, maybe not. But, you know, but it's not long, not too many generations when we're forgotten. Do you know your great-great-grandparents' names, what they did, where they lived? 
Some of you, most of us probably not. And so Solomon here, he says, we've done all these things. What is the point? It's all vanity. And here, I think we get some very beautiful wisdom in chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. But again, here's the big point. There is a God, and you are not him. Look at verse 9. He says this, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. This is kind of how he starts this section. After he, he quoted the birds in chapter 3, you know, a time to dance. You probably know that song from 60s, I think. Um, he quotes that song talking about there's all these different times, time to embrace, time to build, to tear down, to sow, to rip. And then he starts talking about toil. There's a time for everything. But he says, what gain has the worker from his toil? And he's continuing the thought that he started before that bird section. He says, what's the point? So busy. How many times do you ask somebody, hey, how are you? And they answer, busy. <laughs> and is there, if you're asked that and you don't answer busy, aren't you like a little bit guilty? Like, I must not be doing anything worthwhile if I'm not busy. And to a certain extent, that's the way it's always been. God has made us busy, it says. What, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And there's a lot of things we have to do, but yet we make ourselves so busy. So think about this. The business that we go through day in and day out, moms, what's that like? <laughs> right? Kind of repetition of the same thing over and over. You know, don't do that. Get your head out of the toilet. Over and over. What's the point? Every day I make dinner. Every day I clean the same room over and over. I pick up the same toys. Uh, your, your other jobs, you know, plumber, uh, business owner, all this business, all these things that we do over and over and over. And he says, what's, what's the point? What's the gain of all this busyness? And he says in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything beautiful in its time. And this kind of goes back to what he was talking about before. There's a time for everything. Now, if God is God and I'm not, then I am not in control and I can back off all of this busyness, right? And everything can be beautiful in its time. I think that's what he's starting to talk, talk about. He said, all is vanity, but when you step back, you know, from an earthly perspective, we're just drowning, right? We're drowning. Even students sometimes, you know, Brendan is a senior, drowning in finals and all this stuff, right? <laughs> in dance and whatever you have to do, you can be drowning. We're busy, busy, but now taking a heavenly perspective and go, everything's beautiful in its time. Yes, things go on. Yes, great, great grandma and grandpa, you don't know who they are, but in its time, everything's beautiful. So some of you have babies. Babies are boring until they're like eight months old. <laughs> right? They're kind of pointless. They just, you know, burp and spit up and eat and poop. Um, but once they're like seven months old, they become cute. So I guess there's beauty in that part because you sit them there and they don't go anywhere. But then, then they start to, and that's fun when they start to learn how to walk, um, they start to learn how to, how to talk. You know, Tucker is really starting to talk. Tucker is Kelsey and Alex's son. And how old is Tucker? Almost he's almost two. Okay, he's almost two. So we're working there. I, we were doing some flooring. I was there just for a couple hours. And I'm up there working. I hear, hi. I look down and there's Tucker at the bottom of the stairs. Hi. You know, that's fun. But then they grow. And then they get opinions. 
<laughs> right? And so they get their, their pre-adolescent years, and, and, and there's something beautiful, though, about a 12-year-old becoming independent, making their own choices. You're relating to them in a different way, but then they grow and they become seniors and they're about to move out. But that's beautiful. So there's a time, things change, but there's a beauty in, in each of those things. And I think what he's starting to talk about here is time out a little bit from your busyness, time out and take a heavenly perspective because God makes everything beautiful in its time and we can enjoy that. So you know, for me, most of you know that I, I also do construction for the rest of my living. Uh, this right now in the business that I do is the busy time. And so I'm busy, busy, <laughs> busy, every week busy. And part of me hates it. I mean, honestly, I, I hate it. But when I step back and I release control, I go, this is what God has blessed me with. I can enjoy this and it's time. So last week, uh, Brendan had spring break, so he got to work with me some. So we dug a bunch of holes and it was really cool. But there was... But there's, no, there's something beautiful about working and accomplishing something, doing a good job for somebody. And, and when I can be in that moment, you know, one of the phrases I like is, wherever you are, be all there. When I can be all there, there's a beauty in labor. You know, and I'm not talking labor. I'm talking work. There's a beauty in, in work, whatever that could be. So everything is beautiful in its time with a heavenly perspective. Now, here's, here, this is our key verse today, is verse 11. Then he says this, also... He has put eternity into man's heart. Eternity into man's heart. Sorry, I, I missed a, a point. If you're a note taker, here's the point. When God is enough, we can actually enjoy the beauty of everything in its time. When God is enough, we can actually enjoy the beauty of everything in its time. But here we see that he has put eternity into man's heart. So this was the big one for me as we started thinking, is God real? The Bible says he's real and you know it. <laughs> That's what the Bible teaches. He's real and you know it. We spend so much time, I in my life have spent so much time trying to convince people that don't believe in God that there's a God. To a certain extent, that's kind of a waste of time because there's a God and you know it. He says he's put eternity into man's heart. And there's a couple points that I want to draw out of that. But the consciousness of God is part of our nature. The consciousness of God is part of our nature. We know there's a God. I mean, every society since the beginning of time has worshipped some kind of God. The question comes, and we talk about this often, the question comes, well, which God? What's that look like? What's he like? But everybody, for the most part, understands that there is a God. The consciousness of God is part of our nature. There's kind of this spark in every human heart. It's just a spark that knows there's something more. And then when we open up ourselves to Jesus, the Holy Spirit fans that spark into a flame of knowledge and love for the one true God in Jesus. But I want to draw out kind of two aspects of eternity in our hearts. And the first is that, the, the, the consciousness, this innate consciousness we have of God. Paul in Romans 1 18 through 20 talks about it. Uh, I'm not going to read those verses unless they're going to pop up. Nope. Um, but what, what Paul claims in those verses is that his divine, that within creation, God's eternal power is clearly seen along with his divine nature. Paul talks about you just look at creation and you know certain things about God. You, you might not know the details that Jesus came, died on the cross for your sins, but you can know some things. That's why we uh, were showing the hummingbird and kind of pictures like that, just getting a grasp of, look how amazing this creation is that points to a God who must be 
beyond this creation. But Paul claims that within creation, God's eternal power is clearly seen along with his divine nature. And we could look at a lot of things right now. I mean, we could spend hours and hours, Sundays and Sundays, looking at DNA. Somebody told me, I don't know who it was. Somebody told me recently, if you take the DNA in a human and you spread it out, it goes back and forth to the sun. Was that you, Mark? Yeah. You, how, how many times does it go back and forth to the sun? Four. Okay, four times. That's just from one human. Right. If you take it from one cell, it's over six feet long. Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. The eyeball, study the eyeball and how that works. Ridiculous. The hummingbird, how does that thing fly? You know, all these things are amazing. But I want to look at one thing that the psalmist points out. Psalm 19, 1 and 2. The psalmist says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. And the psalmist didn't have the technology we have, didn't have the telescopes we have. But he says, walk outside on a starry night and look up, there's a God. And so I want to take a minute. We're going to watch this video. Uh, can somebody grab those lights? I want to watch this video. Just taking a minute to recognize eternity in our hearts, what God's creation, especially the stars in the heavens, point to the majesty of God.
we, uh, we pulled that from Indescribable. You see that at the end. With, it's Louis Giglio. Go on YouTube sometime this week and just look up Indescribable Louis Giglio and just watch. I mean, it's like an hour long, but he goes through the, the planets and, and all these things, the, the galaxies that are out there, and it's amazing. It's amazing. But just like the psalmist says, just like Paul says, nature cries out that there is a God. We know there's a God. It's been written in our hearts. And here's the second thing that I want to look at with eternity in our hearts that I think that Solomon was talking about too. Not only do we know there's a God, we have a desire to worship. Eternity in our hearts. We have a pull towards something greater than us, a pull to worship. And we feel that. I mean, every culture, I've said this before, every culture in general has had gods that they worshiped. It's only by recent standards that naturalism has taken over. That, okay, there is no God and, and all this, this atheism and, and evolution. But even there, then we start to find something else to worship. And so for many people, it's, it's the worship of self, the worship of pleasure. But we long to worship. Uh, worship just means giving worth to something. Praise. We're made to praise. And so we want to praise things. So we are made to worship. The biblical God is the only one that makes sense within this. Listen to what I mean. So you look at nature. Paul says his divine nature can be clearly seen in nature. So if God, if there is a God, and you know there is, and so do I. If there is a God, it means he's completely other. He's completely beyond us. Because if he made us, he doesn't need us. So he's completely beyond us. Every religion teaches you what God needs from you. Except for true biblical Christianity. Every religion tells you what God needs from you. All the, the ancient religions, the people would do all these rituals because the gods were needy. <laughs> so they would do these rituals to manipulate God to do what they want. And we often have the same thing going on right now. You need to do this and this and this for God to accept you or whatever it is. So God needs? Here's what Paul, or I'm sorry, what Solomon is really talking about in, in this passage. God is God and he doesn't need you. I mean, look at the words that he says here. That God has been in control. Um, Uh, verse 14, I perceive whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. God needs nothing is what he's saying. God doesn't need you. Did you know that? <laughs> he doesn't need you, which means what he's talking about, God is completely sovereign. He's got control of it all. And so it, does it make sense for man to have to manipulate this eternal divine being, it makes no sense. But yet every religion tells you what you need to do to manipulate God. True biblical Christianity is the only one that makes sense because this God who's completely other says, I'll do it for you. God looked at man. He made man for his own glory, not because he needed anything. He made us so he could love us. So he made us. He's loving us. We walk in sin, separates us from him. We did that. He knew we would do that. We talked about this at Easter. That was no surprise to God. Sin was no surprise. He already knew what he was going to do. He was going to send his son to bear the penalty for our sins on the cross. God himself became a man, took our penalty so that he could continue to love us, so that we could be brought into relationship with him. If this wasn't true, we would want it to be, right? He did all the work. He did all the work. It makes sense, but what's the problem then? 
if it makes so much sense, when you look at creation, you look at, okay, there must be a God. If so, there's obviously nothing we can do, so he's done everything. What's our problem with that? Although the consciousness of God and a desire to worship is part of our nature, our resistance to it is part of our sin. Although the consciousness of God and a desire to worship is part of our nature, our resistance to it resistance to it is part of our sin. So now there's part of our fleshly nature, the sin in us, that draws us away from God, that makes us go toward idols to get something else to fulfill. These idols, uh, we're going to be talking about four of these in our groups this week. Um, Idols of the heart. These are things that we we go toward, uh, and they can be summed up really in four, and they're this, control, you know, we can have an idol of, of control. This is one that I kind of struggle with. I want to be in control of everything. <laughs> and so we want to be in control. That's an idol. Uh, control. Um, approval. Approval. We want others to approve of us. So we do things in a way that they will like us. Approval. Comfort. This is a big one for us, isn't it? We want to be comfortable. I think pleasure can fit into this. But we want to be comfortable. We want to be warm and, and fed and fat and happy. And so we, we seek after our comfort. This could be also seeking after, you, you know, a large bank account. Because now I'm comfortable because I'm secure because I have all this saved up. Uh, or pride. Pride. I want people to look at me. It's about me. These are kind of these idols of the heart that we can go after. And when we go after these idols, what we're saying is that God is not enough. When we look for fulfillment somewhere else, we're saying God is not enough. That's exactly what Solomon did. Solomon said to God, basically, you're not enough. I'm going to try to be fulfilled in this and this and this and this. And it was all vanity because only God can can fulfill. And when we chase after these idols, it just proves he is not enough. Just look at those accomplished in our country. Just look over the past 30 years. You know, musicians, actors, or those that make a lot of money, they get there, right? What ends up happening to a lot of them? Depression, drugs, alcohol, because they they achieve all the things that they think will fulfill, and it doesn't. Solomon had the same problem. He did all this, and finally he just threw it down. He's like, vanity, what's the point? Nothing will fulfill until you look up. God can fulfill. God wants to fulfill. Look back at 11. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. This one tripped me up a little bit, this part of this verse. Why why would he include this? So he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. This is, you know, I think one of those idols of control. We want to understand everything, don't we? We want to understand God. We want to put God in a box. And Christians do that too, don't we? We want to be able to define, here's exactly what happened with creation. Now, I believe that earth was created roughly 10,000 years ago. I think it was created in seven days, like the Bible says. But some others might, might get wrapped up. Well, no, there was a gap between each, or he created the earth with some age or whatever. Who cares? <laughs> I wasn't there. You know, I know what the Bible says, and I'm going to believe that. But there's some details we don't know. I wasn't there. But we try and put him in a box so we understand him. The Trinity. Try and understand that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Different but equal. I don't get it. Is it like an egg? Yolk, shell. Is it like ice? You know, ice, H2O, ice. I mean, we can try and explain it. 
But here's, here's what he's, he's talking about. God is, because he's out there, because he's beyond us, we can't fully understand him, but we want to. That's part of eternity in our hearts. We want to get to know him. But so many people, they get wrapped up. They won't come to God because they don't understand him. They have these doubts and these questions. Until he answers these things, I can't follow him. Well, guess what? You're never going to get all those answered, probably. We're never going to have him fully figured out. We can't. But we can know him. We can know what he has revealed. John 8, 12 says this. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Although God is a mystery, he's revealed some things to us through Jesus. And when we submit to Jesus as Lord, when we believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, we give our lives to him, a light comes on and we start to understand things. We understand more because the Holy Spirit in us reveals, we still don't understand everything. But here's, here's my point. Don't get tripped up with things you don't fully understand. If you are waiting to understand before you submit to Jesus, stop and just submit to Jesus. If you are a believer, you've submitted to him, but there's other things you're tripped up you don't understand. Great, <laughs> but follow anyway. Seek all you need in him. We're not going to understand. God has revealed himself in Jesus. Jesus removed the barriers of sin. There is a God, and you're not him. There is a God, and you're not him. Now, Solomon goes on, and the rest of these verses are really all application. And it's, it's amazing. Look at verse 12. I perceive that there's nothing better for them, that's you and me, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Okay, heavenly perspective, right? God has given you everything. He needs nothing from you. We can be content that God is enough, and then we can be joyful. It's not about me. We can be joyful that he's God and I'm not. That gives me joy. I like to be in control, but when I realize I'm not in control anyway and I can trust him, it gives me joy. Do good, serve others as long as they live. We should eat and drink and take pleasure. Now, this is not hedonism. <laughs> He's not saying go out and do everything you want. He's saying enjoy the gifts God has given to you. Work, work is a joy. Work, food, drink, enjoy those things and pass that praise on to the one who made it. But enjoy it. Stop for a minute and enjoy what you have. We're always wanting more, aren't we? I mean, don't we struggle with this? I'll be content when I get there. Stop and be content now with what God has given and enjoy it. I think that's what he's talking about. This is God's gift. He's given you. Enjoy. Verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. People fear before him. Solomon wrote elsewhere that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The psalmist writes, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. This fear is a reverent awe before who God is. As we look at what he's created, we look at who God is, this reverent awe. We're going to be talking about this in our groups this week. But do you fear God? Do you fear who he is? Do you have the proper order of things? If so, then life is not vanity. Everything is not vanity. It has purpose. The purpose is God. It's given by God, and we can glorify him. There is a God, and you're not him. 
And so you can be free. You can be free from all that trying to be God. You know, this is something I have to preach to myself all the time. One of the mantras I've been saying to myself frequently, Jesus, you're enough. I say it to Jesus. Jesus, you're enough for me. I don't need this, this, and this. Jesus, you're enough. And that's exactly what Solomon is saying. God is enough. Seek him and be content. God is God, you are not. Fear him and enjoy his gifts. Fear him and enjoy his gifts. I think that this is one of the beautiful things that we've lost is Sabbath. You know, Sabbath uh, that was given by God to the Israelites, they would take one day a week and they would just chill out and enjoy what God gave them. They wouldn't work. They would enjoy food. They, normally they would have a great meal that day and they would enjoy it. They would have good drink that day and they would enjoy it. They would worship and they would enjoy worshiping. They would fellowship with others. They would enjoy. How often do you take time just to enjoy God? And part of that is the gifts that he's given you. Your marriage, your kids, food, drink, sitting outside on a sunny day. Can we enjoy those things and, and point that joy toward God in praise? That's what he's talking about. We're free that we don't have to be the master of our soul. So this week, we are going to be in our groups talking a little bit about the, free of the, uh, the fear of the Lord. We're going to be talking some about um, these idols of the heart. I would encourage you, uh, if you're in a group, actually look at those questions before you go to group this week. It's on the app. So look at the app, fill those out, because some of them are going to take a little bit of thinking. If you're not in a group, uh, you know, we at Common Ground, we don't have a lot of programs. We just have groups because we think life change best takes place in community around the Word of God. So if you're not in a group, I would encourage you to look at those questions anyway. I would say join a group, but we only have three weeks uh, left before summer. But look at those questions anyway. Go to the app, go to the Outpost group questions, and I think they're actually on the, the bulletin too, and answer those for yourself. Go through, because that's how we start to apply what God has taught us, what God is doing. Um, and here's one other thing. Here's a little application. If you're like me, you like hands-on, under your seat, there's a little piece of rope taped. So re grab under your seat. It's taped under there somewhere. The youth did it on Wednesday. <laughs> Or grab the seat next to you and tip. That's cheating, Adam. <laughs> when you take control, when you are going after control, pride, approval from others, or comfort, then things are out of order and you're trying to take control. You're trying to be God. God is God and you are not. But when we try and do those things, it's like our life isn't the way it should be. It's a little bit out of order. Our life can be in knots. So, this is, this is uh, an illustration, and this is something for us to apply. I want you to think about it. What are those things that come between you and God, between you and experiencing the joy? Because that's what he talks about, right? The person who fears God, enjoys his, his gifts, and has joy. What stops your joy? And I'm not talking about earthly happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is based on who God is and what he's done for you. Good, good father. I love that song. He's a good, good father. And you're accepted because of Jesus. But yet, things can still block our joy. What is blocking your joy? And I want you to take this and untie the knot. Untie the knot, kind of sy symbolic of whatever that is. You're not God. <laughs> he is, and you can rest in him. So we untie the knot. And I would encourage you to just put this in your pocket and carry it around with you this week. 
you know, it's small. It's kind of cool. If you're, if you're like me, you like to kind of fiddle with things. But it's just a reminder to pull it out. Maybe you start stressing this week about something. You pull it out and go, I'm not God. Maybe financial troubles. You pull it out, I'm not God. Relational troubles. You pull it out, I'm not God, but I know who is. And he's a good, good father. So take this. Maybe in the week you find yourself wrapped up again, wrap it in a knot, untie it again, <laughs> just to remind yourself. But let me pray, and we're going to close in worship. Lord Jesus Christ, um, we love you. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Um, thank you that you are God and we are not. Thank you that I don't have to be in control. Thank you for, for providing all that we need. Um, God, you have put eternity in our hearts. You have given us a desire for you and a desire to worship. And I pray that if there's anybody in here with things that are getting in the way, um, for th anything getting away from initial belief, that you would break down those barriers. Holy Spirit, you would convict hearts that you are the one true God and you do love us and you accept us because of Jesus and that we are free to then submit to you. But God, many of us here, we've given our lives to you before, but yet we still get wrapped up in these things. We still try and take control or we seek after our own comfort or approval of others. I pray, Holy Spirit, convict us and let us be free of that and free to just worship you for who you are. It's all about you. All praise, glory, and honor is yours, Jesus. It's all to you, Father. Holy Spirit, we love you. Be present with us. Now be glorified as we are free to worship. In Jesus' name, amen.